You are about to listen to the full interview with Dr. Annabella Cardoso. Sections of it were originally included in our instrumental trans communication episode. Annabella Cardoso is a career diplomat for Portugal and the founder of ITC Journal. We dig deeper into the history of ITC and Annabella's personal experiments. We hope you enjoy. Well, I am um, profession- professionally, I am a career diplomat. Now I am retired. And um, I learned about ITC um, through a, a series of um, occurrences uh, of a friend who had lost her only son in a sailing accident. She had tried to commit suicide three or four times. She's a very unstable kind of character. It was her only son also. And I was um, living a period of bereavement uh, too. So we started trying to find out what we could do to attempt any contact if that, um, if that um, would be possible. And that's when we contacted um, a Jesuit, Jesuit priest, very interested in the paranormal, although neither of us is, uh, is a Roman Catholic at all. But anyway, he was quite a um, remarkable person here in Figure, here in Spain, where I was uh, posted as Consul General of Portugal. And so we tried to contact him. He was very pleasant and very kind. And um, we went to Madrid to meet uh, this priest who, who was uh, quite famous exactly because of his um, adherence to the so-called paranormal. We had a very pleasant uh, lunch in a good restaurant in Madrid. And at the end of it, I asked him, what what do you think we could do? And he said, to to reach this goal. And he said, well, the way I see it, I think it will be through ITC. So that's when we started um, informing ourselves about ITC. And that's how it started, really. Then we started buying books. Uh, of uh, Friedrich Jürgensen and the Maggie Harsch-Fischbach in Luxembourg, and um, and then and then we started a very kind of um, simple, modest um, series of experiments with a friend of, of ours who has some uh, technical electrotechnical background. He had studied in, in the university in Buenos Aires, and he, we knew him, and he knew about ITC. We didn't, but he did. So our friend, who is still my friend after all these years, Carlos Fernandez, was the person who came and um, helped us with the instruments and the recording and this and that, because you... We should think this was end of 1997, the very end, let's say November or so, November, December. And we start, my, my, the first results, I say my, but at the time we were the three of us, 
although Carlos is not interested in the transcendental point of view, let's call it that way, but he's only interested in the technical side of the phenomena. So anyway, we started experimenting with images, with images. We did get a few apparently anomalous images. Very interesting ones also because they were of a, a deceased dog, dog that had died um, kind of uh, one year or so before. Um, she, she was an abandoned old dog, a Great Dane, and, uh, and, and started receiving these first images that so much resembled um, Daye, called her Daye. And, and that, that was it. And then other images, rather good too. Uh, but at a certain point, I, I persuaded them. I said, well, these, these are is all very nice, but this is not real hard evidence. Yes. We need to get information that we can, uh, that information, real information through the voices. At this time, we already knew about the voice phenomenon. And, um, and that's when we started with the, with the EVP, let's call it that way, experiments, because they were EVP experiments at the very beginning. And in a matter of a few weeks, we got, it, we got results. And two months later, this was the 11th of March, 1998, I was here in my house, this house, a little room, it's a big house, and I put aside a little room for my, as our studio in, at that time. And I was doing an EVP experimentation on my own, and the voice started um, replying to me, directly from the loudspeaker of the of the radio. It was at the time an old valve radio. Now they are all they are all bad. They no longer work and I have very modern, strong, powerful radios. But um and that's what happened and from then on the voices never stopped. Uh, my friend, this friend who started uh, working with me, who had lost her, her son, as I said, um, she, she lived far away, 150 kilometers away. So at a certain point, the only thing she wanted was to contact her son directly. And she, that never happened, really. Well, there was a message from him to her, but to me, she was not here that day. So she, at a certain point, lost interest because it was long traveling and so on, and she wouldn't uh, get direct communication. She was not so interested in contacting another level of existence, but she was interested in contacting her son. Two different things, isn't it? And uh, so so I stayed. I, all, I never stopped. As a matter of fact, when this the direct radio voices started. You must perhaps know that first one. I have 
I have played it everywhere I go. Uh, and uh, so I was almost always on my own here. Carlos came, but he lives nearer. And that's, that's what happened. I mean, at the beginning, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I think one of the things that strikes me so much about the recordings that you've done and, and the way you work is is um, when you think of electronic voice phenomenon, I think people generally think of playing back a tape recorder and hearing something after yeah. the fact. But what you record are actually um, yeah. voices that are coming live. Um, could yeah. you maybe, yeah, could, could you talk a little bit more about that and kind of how you achieve that process? That was the first voice I told you, 11th of March, 1998. Uh, started replying loud into the, air, into the air, as a matter of fact, very loud indeed. And um, very loud, very loud. As loud as I am speaking now. And, um, and that's it, that's how it started. And then it never stopped. But you see what we call, well, at least I do, this is the terminology I use, EVP voices, which are really the raw diva voices. Those are the ones that cannot be heard when you record, isn't it? And the direct radio voices, they come directly from the loudspeaker of, of a radio, like uh, Marcello Bacci's voices. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the voices I get. Not so much now because it has been many years and the voices are not there all the time. What, what for? What would be the purpose of that constant uh, well, speaking? They, they tell me now that what they are doing, although I still turn my radios twice a week, for instance, tomorrow and on Sunday, they tell me that they are working to be able, working, so working, and they always work with the radios and so on to be able to speak with everybody in this level, in this world, interested in contacting their world. So that's what they tell me. But I no longer speak with my first communicator, Carlos de Almeida, who was very experienced and spoke, as I said, very loud and um, very powerful voice and, and so on. Uh, nowadays, I speak mostly with my family members, although direct also, you know. Wow, that must be that must be really incredible to be able to speak with family members. Um, so, what is that? What is that experience like to be able to reach out to someone who who you knew um, when they were alive and speak to them on the other side? Like, what was that? What was it like the first time you were able to achieve that? When was the first time? I no longer remember. Let me. I think perhaps uh, to to speak with my father or my brother or my one of my family members or uh, perhaps this was I don't know year 2000 or something like that could be yeah and maybe could you just talk about what that experience was like because I think that's something that so so many people would be interested in in having the chance to speak to a loved one again. Well, like, what was it? What was yeah. <laughs> that? Was like the, I, the voice started speaking, and I asked who is speaking, and the voice said, "It's the father. The father is." As a matter of fact, my father always says like this: "It's the father." 
It's João Cardoso. That was my father's name. Uh, that was the first one. And then um, there are several, I think, in my website, perhaps. It is, um, it is Luis, my brother. It's Luis Cardoso. And I asked, for instance, I remember this one very well. Is it you, Luis? And he said, of course it's me. <laughs> so um, these voices are published, you know, Ray? I, and the, the other day, the, the local television, not so much local, but regional, here in this side or in this part of Spain, came to make a documentary here in my house interviewing me and then and then they putting into the air some voices and uh, and these were some of the voices I, I I gave them to publish with the documentary just because some of our viewers um, may not actually know what instrumental transcommunication is this could be a new topic for some people could you maybe just give a quick high level uh, explanation for what ITC is and also maybe just touch on EVP as well specifically? Well, so at the time of Constantin Raudiva, we are speaking of the end of the 60s, uh, beginning of the 70s, when Breakthrough was published and it was all that, um, well, it, it caused all that stir in England with Breakthrough and everybody started experimenting, not everybody, but, but many people in, uh, in the United Kingdom. Many started rece receiving voices, these voices that you cannot hear. Okay, so you sit down, you, you sit down in a room, studio, wherever you wish, and without interferences, of course, that's not necessary to say it's, it's logical that you shouldn't have any interferences anyway so you sit down and you start speaking to communicators or address whoever you want to address and then you give it what something like 10-15 minutes you make a question or a comment wait one minute or two then another one and then you finish your experiment when, when you um, play back what you recorded, voices might be there, not always, of course, but many, many times, well, uh, at least it, that's how it happened with me. Many times there are voices there replying to your question, loud ones too. But that, at least as I say, this is always personal. Mine were loud, maybe other people are not. And anyway, it depends on, I suppose it depends on the people, it depends on the communicators, it depends on the environment, it, it depends on the place, on the place here on this planet, it depends on so many things, as the communicators have uh, said in Luxembourg. So, um, you sit down, as I said, make one question, wait one minute or two, Another one, in silence, of course, without, without um, extraneous uh, influences, sound influences, acoustic influences. At the end, you finish your experiment. And, uh, and when you rewind, 
wherever you recorded, uh, recorder, computer, whatever, voices might be there. And those are the so-called EVP voices. They started with Rodi, well, with Jurgensen, of course, first. I know you'd say Raymond Bayless and all that. Uh, of course, I know that. But as a matter of fact, they never, they never spread the existence of these voices like Jurgensen did and Constantin Rodi. I can't compare um, Bayless and... Um, and Attila von Zley with, the, with Friedrich Jürgensen's action in the, at least in Europe, with, uh, through the voices that he received, which was in 19, maybe I'm wrong, but I think 1959, his first voice in Sweden, I think so. A a anyway, so these were the so-called EVP. There was no... Um, idea that a direct radio voice was possible. Yeah? Nobody thought about that. They didn't exist. Then at the end of the of Jurgensen's work, almost at the end, one of his voices, maybe Lena, who was her, his inter intermediate, Lena said, turn on the radio. And they started turning on the radio and the first voices that I have heard started coming through the radio. Uh, at Jurgensen's. And then Rodiva, well, I'm not sure if he got uh, radio voices. I don't think so. I think they were all EVP voices. That is the ones that cannot be heard directly when you record, only on playback. And from then on, well, there was, of course, Marcello Bacci, who started in 72, with EVP voices also for a few years. I do not know how many, but perhaps seven, eight, nine EVP voices only. And at a certain point, also through the radio, he started receiving voices, direct radio voices. Then naturally, the Harsh Fischbach was the most famous one. Uh, Adolf Holmes, and then myself later, a number of years later, and Bachi practically all the years until he died. Not all, it was, it was a few years before he died. He died last year. But that's what I can tell you about, the, well, the difference between the, the two types of communications. And it was Professor Ernst Stankowski who named these contacts instrumental transcommunication. Trans, beyond, of course, and instrumental to instruments. Although, we, and I discussed it with him, with Professor Stankowski. I told him, I think this should be electronic transcommunication. And he said, yes, but at the time, well, he was also, he had experimented himself and had results too. He said, well, instrumental, it covers all instruments, but as a matter of fact, these voices are electronic voices, isn't it? And so it was Professor Senkovsky 
who devised the term instrumental transcommunication. And he, he wanted to cover all types of phenomena, that is, computer texts, spontaneous, spontaneous computer texts, as in Luxembourg, as in uh, Adolf Holmes' house, um, images, direct radio voices, telephone messages, and what else? So many, everything that comes to electronic devices, be it image, text, or voices, he wanted to find a term to cover them all. That's how we found the instrument, instrumental transcommunication. And it became known as such. How often, when you're doing your experiments, how often do you get responses from the other side? It's impossible to say that. I do not know when I'm going to get responses or not. Or not. There is no, there is no um, parameter for for that you can be three months and get no reply you can be you can get replies every single day you experiment no no you can't say that you know at least in my case of course have you noticed any factors that have led to an increase in communication or does it seem completely random to you factors perhaps dry weather yeah dry weather but i i um, the, the rising moon or raising whatever it's called uh, but I I have had voices in all in all phases of the moon in all weathers I think for instance dry weather is more conducive to the voices but then I also got voices when it was raining a lot and, and so on and ca- can't say the communicators themselves have said that they do not know exactly uh, what all the factors are. If I, they, they don't know, if they don't know, I know even less, yes. You mentioned making contact with some of your family members and also uh, Carlos de Almeida, Almeida, I believe that's how you say Yes, exactly. Um, who... Is there any other anyone else that you've made contact with on the other side who's relayed any information, or are those are those your primary points of contact? My primary point of contact. So Carlos de Almeida, I have said so many. Philippe, Pedro Rock, John Colbert, so many, so many. Presently, it's mostly my family members. Yes. And how can you be certain it's always, uh, it's the same person? Do they identify themselves by their name, or is there are you able to tell by the voice, the tone of the voice, who it is? The voices are, are very difficult, especially the direct radio voices, because of, of course the voices are modulating, modulated. Sorry, on on radio noise. So well, can they be the same or similar? No, they they cannot be. But some, very occasionally, there is indeed a similarity. Um, other times, it's so difficult to say that it is very similar to my father's voice. There are a couple of occasions when I say, oh, yes, 
this intonation more than voice. It sounds like my father's voice. Or I have had voices with the accent of the region of Portugal where I was born. I have had several of those, you know. So, um, what else? How can I say? I can't. How can I say that they are the voices of those people? I can't say. They say they are. They identify themselves. How do, how do I know? I can't, I can't see them. This is not a television communication, is it? So they say, I am your father. I am João Cardoso. I am your brother. I am Luis Cardoso. It's Luis Cardoso speaking. How can I know that he is or he is not? Why, why wouldn't he be? I mean, I, I guess given the fact that you don't know who you're communicating with on the other side, do you think that this sort of work poses any sort of danger or concern when you don't know who you're speaking with, or, or do you not feel that at all? I, I never had any, any let, let's say, malignant voices. Never did. But you see, I communicate with a, with a, or at least through, with and through a station in the next world. The famous, the famous Zeitstrom in Luxembourg, um, that was translated as Time Stream, Rio do Tempo in Portuguese, and those are my communicators. They identify themselves as as the Portuguese group at the Rio do Tempo station. My father has said so many times. I'm speaking from the station, Rio do Tempo, like they did, like they did in Luxembourg. I do not remember which station spoke with Jorgensen, but there was a station, Central, wasn't it? Central Station, something like that. Yes, I think it was. So, uh, and it is the communicators themselves, themselves, have said that through a station, there, there. There can be no harm coming because the stations, let's, let's call them what they really are, I think, transmitting centers from the next uh, level of existence to this one. They are highly controlled. While the EVP contacts, the famous ones that you cannot hear, I think they depend more on individual endeavor there in the next uh, existence, then they, are, they don't come through a station in general, in general, because you can cannot make laws for these contacts, for these communications. I have had EVP voices, beautiful ones too, from the station also. But what is what has been said by the communicators is that uh, the EVP voices are not so controlled. So this probably, I'm, I don't know, because I'm not there, I'm here. But probably this means that they are less controlled, while they have said many times, for instance, in Luxembourg, and those have, those have, repeat, have received the most um, fantastic ITC contacts ever, they have said that uh, there is no dangers because the 
stations are those transmitting centers, highly controlled, you know. Could you talk about your um, about your setup at home? Like, what if someone was interested in attempting their own experiments in this field? What what should they be looking for when they do their own home setup? A, a silent place, of course, so that there are no noises. That then they think uh, that they are receiving voices, and they are not. So a silent place, some acoustic bank background with no voices. Just um, just static noise, and um, oh, what else? A quiet, a quiet corner in their house. A good, a good uh, sensitive recorder, and, uh, and and that's about it. And a relaxed state of mind, if you if you will. Uh, that's all I can think of, which is the most. Perhaps the most important uh, uh, situation, psychological situation, to get the voices and not 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 to be anxious and you know disturbed, nervous. This I think is also important. Just be just be neutral, not anxious to get contact like my friend was. Uh, the one who started experimenting with me. Uh, well, that's what I can say. But you know, uh, that that's that's my advice. It's always a personal advice, never a generic one, because um, I can't give general or generic generic advices because I do not know enough. I mean, I don't know more than what I'm saying. So, you know, that's that's my personal point of view. If it works, I hope it it does. I think it does. Fine, in most cases, yes. Some other people, some not some other, sorry, some people perhaps will never get contact. You ask me why? I don't know. Once. Um, Professor David Fontana asked me to ask Priyudu uh, Tempo why some people receive contact and others do not. And I did ask them. And they, they replied, it depends on us. So now you interpret it as you, as you wish, you know. They, they said, that's all they said. On what? David asked me, ask them on, on what does it depend to get or not get contact? And the reply was very simple. It depends on us, they said. So I can't say more, Ray. I, mm. I really don't like to speculate. I don't like to guess. I only like to say what I have lived and experienced and which I can prove and which I can prove, you know? Absolutely. I know you had a, a good working relationship with David Fontana. Fontana. Um, yeah. Could you maybe talk about some of the work you two did together and, and how your collaboration got started? Oh, well, that was years ago. Well, David died, as you probably know, don't you? Right. Yes, yes. You do know? Yeah. I do know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, I... I 
David I got in touch with exactly because of uh, of this extraordinary so so many and so powerful voices I was receiving direct ones which are extremely uncommon and at the time David was president of the SPR so I wrote to the SPR and I wrote him a lot of course he, he was president I wrote him who else I couldn't think of anybody else serious with good reputation and so on to contact except Professor Senkowski with whom I was already in contact from the beginning a very highly knowledge, knowledgeable person in, in ITC more than anybody else I've known was Ernst Senkowski. But anyway, to support me and give me some advice on what I should do about this, I wrote to the president of the SPR. And that happened to be David. And he replied me very interested uh, and in, in witness in witnessing the, these, these voices and so on. And so on. That's how I started the my collaboration with uh, with David for many years until he died, as a matter of fact. And one day David was here at his at his house in in Spain, and in my little studio here, I, the, the communicators were speaking uh, in Portuguese as they speak usually, and David came into the room and. Uh, and told the communicators, uh, something like this, um, can you speak to me in English? And a voice replied, we speak Portuguese. Anyway, he continued and said, hello, could you repeat, how are you? And they did repeat, how are you? We are so pleased that you're speaking. You want to speak to Yes. And so that's, for instance, a very famous protocol that uh, David uh, did here at my house without having told me anything. He never told me. He was. He was going to do this, you know. I didn't know he was going to ask them to repeat a sentence after him. He never told me. He just came into the room, closed the door, and started speaking. I was there, as I, I, as I always am, sitting on the floor in a small room with carpeted, and, uh, and that's what happened. And they did repeat what, and then he. He asked them to repeat something else. Hello, David, I think it was. And they repeated, hello, David. They said, that's it. Yeah, I've heard that recording. Um, I think it was in the Ah. TV. I think it was in the TV, the TV piece. Perhaps it was. I can't remember, Ray, but perhaps, yes, perhaps it was, yeah. 
It was very, very interesting. Um, it also makes me think about uh, the, the languages that these contactors are using to speak with the person who's trying to make contact. You say that yeah. they mostly speak in, mostly speak in Portuguese, Portuguese, but um, do you think uh, that's because you as the communicator who's reaching out speaks Portuguese or how does the language side of that work? Have you heard English voices, other languages? I have heard English voices, but sometimes there was, as I told you, this, this lady, Joan Corbett, she was English, apparently. I, I don't know the person, you know. She, I asked her to identify herself and she said, I am Joan Colbert past. That's what she said. And Joan Colbert obviously was, is an English name or American or one of the two. Australian could be. Anyway, they speak in Portuguese because because of two things, I suppose. I am Portuguese, although I speak other languages, but I am Portuguese. And they are the Portuguese group at the station. So, so they speak in Portuguese, obviously. Yeah? Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's exactly. That's the reason I think when David started speaking to them uh, and said, "Rio do Tempo, could you speak in English?" and they said, "We speak Portuguese." But then he continued, as I just described it to you, and then they did reply. They did repeat the the, the sentence he asked them to to repeat, and in English, of course, very clear, very. Very loud, and they continued. This is a long recording, by the way, not just two words. Well, two two words you have heard, but it's a long recording of half an hour or so. What in your in your mind? What does the concept of spiritual growth mean to you, and and how does that factor into the work that you're doing with uh, ITC? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Uh, an expression I, I dislike, you know, spiritual growth, because nobody really knows what it means, yeah? Uh, and I don't either. How, but what, how I envisage the concept and what the communicators have said, in this case it was the deceased Constantine Raudiva to a lady. In France, uh, the first and only telephone confirmed, real, real, a real one, telephone call um, from the next level to a lady called Aline Piget, and he said, you should be aware, so this is to reply to your question, you should be aware that um, goodness Goodness, you know, is not the, the purpose or is not the main... I have published this paper also somewhere in the ITC journal. It's not the purpose or the only purpose or the main purpose, I think it says, uh, of life on Earth. The main purpose of life on the Earth is the expansion of consciousness. 
So does expansion of consciousness correspond to spiritual growth? Since spiritual growth is an expression I never use, exactly because it's such um, uh, tricky, uh, I think expansion of consciousness is the is what is the objective of the communications. Expansion in this case human, because I, I think the other animals don't really need it because they, their consciousness follows the natural law. Therefore, it's already expanded. And, and anyway, so that's what he says. The expansion, the expansion of human consciousness. Is this spiritual growth to, to you? I don't know what spiritual growth is for you, for instance, Ray, if you understand what I mean, yeah? I do, yeah. Very complex. So, no, uh, an expression I dislike. It's spiritual growth. What is spiritual growth? Because everybody, for each one, it carries, carries a different meaning, you know. And while expansion of consciousness much is much more, uh, how do I say, open, expansion of consciousness means that your consciousness, your awareness can, how do I say, can, can open to so many um, non uh, Non, um, non, non, non paradigmatic of the prevalent paradigm uh, concepts, isn't it? So it can open to so many different ways of being, and that's what I think they well they they exactly said these words that I told you. The main purpose is the expansion of human consciousness right yeah i guess and for me i i've never i've never had a direct experience with what i would call the other side as as you have so for me it's never i've never had that confirmation that life doesn't end at death so i feel like if i've if i have that direct experience it would so alter my my worldview and my sense of spirituality um, yeah, that I agree. It's just, it's yeah, exactly. It's such a, it's such an interesting idea to me because within a moment, um, and I would love to have that experience. I just haven't had it personally yet. But within a moment, your entire concept of yourself and and everyone and around the, you and, and what life is your exactly. Yeah, it changes exactly. everything. Of course, you know, it's it changes changes the par, the paradigm, isn't it? Paradigm, isn't it? As you say, a paradigm. No, paradigm. Paradigm, isn't it? Paradigmatic. It changes. It, it changes the vision of the world, uh, which is commonly accepted, isn't it? I think so. It totally changes it. Have you had any experiences with spirit communication? Let us know on our Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon all one word please give us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app visit www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes 
Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Tarara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Tarara. Theme music by Tara Monk. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheramizanov.